Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 110. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast to feature interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Ben Savage, guitarist for Whitechapel. When Ben was in sixth grade, he wrote an essay for school about the song One. That essay reads, My favorite song is One by Metallica. I like this song because the guitar in the song is awesome. James Hetfield, vocals, rhythm guitar, Kirk Hammett, lead guitar, Jason Newstead, bass guitar, and Lars Ulrich, drummer, are Metallica. I think it is the best written song ever made. The guitar starts out as an amazing one-minute solo, then goes into heavy guitar. The song is about a war zone. I think a lot of people could relate to this song. This song was on the album and Justice for All. It was released in 1988. The album also had another hit song called Harvester of Sorrow, which is also an awesome song. They came out with a new album called S&M, which is the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra and Metallica playing old songs from them. The CD also includes my favorite all-time song, One. I want to get that new album so bad. Oh, did I also mention that Metallica is my all-time favorite group? Metallica started back in 1982, and they are still going strong, and they still rock. And then here's my favorite part about the essay. In parentheses at the bottom, it says, See tabs on back for song. Now, if that isn't just pure, unadulterated fandom from Ben, I don't know what is. So I was very happy to have him on the podcast and, you know, talk about Metallica, as we do here. If you'd like to see a copy of that essay, actually, in all of its loose-leaf, notebook, paper, handwritten glory, I'm going to post that up on the Speak and Destroy Patreon Speaking of story, Patreon supporters are treated to bonus episodes, many of them called for my interview archives over the years, including conversation with the likes of Glenn Danzig, Serge Tankian, Kirk the Ripper Hammett, JD from The Sword, and many other Metallica-adjacent personalities. You can follow Speaking Destroy on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. You can also subscribe to the Speaking Destroy YouTube channel. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at Ryan J. Downey underscore. Please don't forget, if you haven't done so already, to go into Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform of choice, leave a five-star rating, and write a nice little review. Those really do help. Speaking of Story podcast theme is by the great Scott Mellinger of the band Zayo. So here it is, my conversation with Ben Savage of Whitechapel. This is Speak and Destroy. parents are gymnastics coaches and so I would just I would pretty much grow grew up in a gym you know which is Mm. like 
big open area, you know, there's pits, rings, high bars. And, um, you know, I grew up around older kids, these older, you know, the high schoolers and stuff like that. And then they would play music like, um, like Rage Against the Machine and stuff. I remember hearing Bomb Track for the first time in the gym. They would just play it over like the loudspeakers, like, because the older guys, you know, they practice at nighttime. So there wasn't any, um, you know, I guess children around. Yeah. <laughs> they just, you know, bump, you know, you know, whatever. And, you know, my dad would pick up on stuff too. And yeah, I remember hearing, yeah, Rage Against the Machine and Corn. I remember they're really into Corn too. And my dad had like Metallica cassettes and like on the way to like, on the way to practice, we would just listen, listen to like Metallica. Like, uh, I know we listened to Load and Reload and Injustice for All. Yeah, Ride the Lightning on cassette. Yeah, and I was just blown away by, you know, just the, just the power, you know, behind it. And just, you know, it just has this like frantic energy, you know, with like Kirk Hammett's, you know, crazy psychedelic solos, you know, in the old stuff. It was, you know, just wild, wild stuff. And I remember I was, you know, blown away by it. And I would like, I'd look in the, um, looking like the cassette, you know, in the liner notes and stuff. And it said that the Metallica fan club, like on the first two albums were based in Knoxville. They had a PO box in Knoxville, Tennessee, where we're from. And I just thought that was the strangest thing. This band, you know, they're from California, but why do they have a PO box in Knoxville? I know. No, I've always, I've always like, wondered that like if i ever had the chance to meet him one day i'd ask him you know like what what's and, and as a kid you're probably thinking like what if i just go to that post office yeah and wait yeah. by that box will, will james hetfield come by to pick up the mail yeah <laughs> yeah well, yeah you know what and that's that's a uh that's a missing piece in my fandom i actually don't know the answer to that i would i would guess and this is totally just guessing but i would guess that's probably where the fulfillment place was for the actual fan club merch yeah uh but otherwise yeah i mean, yeah. I mean obviously everything's maybe. through hq now yeah because i'm actually picked i got my ride the lightning cd and i looked in it just to just to make sure and uh yeah it says p.o box the metallica club p.o box 18327 knoxville tennessee i don't know i don't know if you can read it but <laughs> yeah, yeah that's wild knoxville tennessee you know so yeah, I, I don't know, when I grew up, when I went, when I got older, uh, there's this guy from Knoxville who said he used to tour manage Metallica. Um, I don't know his name or anything, but I knew he was like retired from that. But I knew he would. Um, I knew he'd help. He'd help help this local band, I guess, Straight Line Stitch or something. But uh, yeah, so there's you know there's small degrees of separation some kind of connect connectivity down there Uh, so so it sounds like this was so heavy music was kind of your introduction to music in Um, general actually well i guess that would be my my heavy music introduction but like before that you know my my dad will listen to uh, like led zeppelin and stuff and i you know i i'd love the you know the guitar and led zeppelin uh especially and you know, my mom liked uh, John Fogarty, and I remember, you know, Steely Dan, and, you know, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, my dad had tons of records too. He, you know, he liked a lot of stuff like Beastie Boys and 
level of gymnastics did they coach? Was it like high school, college, Olympics? Um, my my dad coached. Um, they're both like Hall of Fame gymnast, like uh, gymnastics coaches. So he's my dad has coached like like Olympians before, and um, like in they're in the Knoxville Gymnastics Hall of Fame, both of them. Um, my dad almost made it to the Olympics in the seventies, uh, but he got he got hurt before before the the trials, the Olympic trials. But um, oh, as a gymnast himself. Yeah, as a gymnast himself. Yeah. Crazy. But um, well. he's not a musician, but you know he he's a photographer and um, and, you know he's you know he's an artist too, and so he you know he knows if you know if it, he knows what sounds good, you know. Um, my mom was the one who played guitar. Oh wow! A, a little bit, um, you know, and showed me my first chords and stuff. What got you interested in guitar? Was it was it primarily her playing it also, or were there yeah. songs that you wanted to learn like right away? Yeah. I mean, yeah, just songs I wanted to learn. I just thought that was, uh, you know, it was just fascinating to me because, you know, I could learn guitar and, you know, you could, it's different than gymnastics. Cause like, you know, when you do gymnastics, you learn moves that are already like, you know, already, you know, invented. Uh, but with like music, you know, I, I like the aspect, like I can just kind of make something that's, you know, new that can't, you know, that hasn't been done before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like guitar magazines and stuff was really cool. Like guitar world magazines and, you know, look at the pictures and look at the tabs and read the interviews and stuff. And it was, I had, I had tons of guitar world magazines growing up. Um, tablature of of varying quality right <laughs> yeah 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 tad by some guy <laughs> you know so you start learning guitar do you remember what some of the first metallica songs you figured out were yeah definitely one and fade to black because those were the ones they they you know they they both start on the same notes um so those were the first ones i learned that and uh seek and destroy that was uh yeah i think seek and destroy was the first one because it's kind of you know kind of easier to play yeah as metallica songs go anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and about what age are you at this point when guitar comes into the picture probably like 11 or 12 11 actually so this would be somewhere really. around the sixth grade essay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I think, let's, yeah, let's, I think so. let's talk about that um I, I got a chance to read it which was killer yeah and just thinking about you know myself as a sixth grader I, I was I was really into music already but I was about a year away from Metallica uh, I was really into like new wave and punk rock around the time I was in sixth grade and then metal hit me full force in seventh grade but um yeah I definitely relate to the drive or the pull to do something like that in school i actually turned in slayer lyrics Mm. (laughs) in a class in ninth grade Um, it was like an english assignment where we were studying something and it was like let's find an example in poetry that talks about this or whatever and 
and I brought yeah. in I brought in the lyrics to Angel of Death. Oh damn! <laughs> and I was like, we're studying World War II. This is about World War II. Oof. Yeah, that's good actually. Yeah, yeah. Auschwitz, <laughs> the meaning of pain. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we had yeah. talked about Joseph Mengele in class. We're like, well, here's this yeah, song that, about it. That that works. That works. It's a controversial cool tune. But yeah, well, what do you remember about putting that essay together, and how and how is it that you still have it? Um, I wish I had oh, stuff man. like that. It's in. It was in a folder like that. My uh, that I kept, you know, under my bed growing up, and it was eventually went to my attic, my parents' attic, and then when I moved out, you know, they they gave me all the stuff that was in the attic, so that was in there. Nice. I found it like I found it last year. But yeah, I wrote it for. Uh, I guess chorus class were in uh, I guess sixth grade. Yeah, chorus class. They told me to write about my favorite song. <laughs> so I picked one. Uh, yeah. And at, the, and at that point, you probably weren't even super deep into the lyrics and it being based on a book and a movie and all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't that deep into it. I just liked, uh, I just really liked the song, you know, just the, the musical part of it um you know how it builds and you know kind of builds like you know like stairway to heaven you know kind of just soft to heavy yeah and the riffs are just yeah insane but uh so you know Whitechapel is pretty unique in terms of of bands in general and heavy bands and in this corner of the genre in that uh the lineup almost without fail i mean you know four of you have been in it from the very beginning from 2006 right and even yeah and and zach's is 2007 so basically the whole way before we dive into that a little deeper was Whitechapel your first band or were there bands before that no there's a there's a band called psychotic behavior before Whitechapel. um that was that started in middle school and uh, Phil actually joined Psychotic Behavior, I guess, I guess while we were in high school. So he was like the newest member. Like we, st- we started in, in the same school. I wrote that Metallica essay. Like, uh-huh. yeah, we started like we were in jazz band, but you know, it wasn't like, you know, pinky out jazz stuff we were playing. We were playing like just like standards and not standards, you know, but it was just like simple like stuff but they had horns and uh you know trombones and stuff and i played guitar in the jazz band and uh like in between like uh practice when we were practicing like a big standard like big bad bill or something we the teacher would leave the room in the drum uh nija who played trombone was actually a really great drummer and so he he kicked the drummer off kyle and he he needs we'd start playing like nirvana smells like teen spirit but like faster you know so that's how we started the band and um eventually we got the janitor after school to like let us into the band room and we would just have band practice and you know that was my first being in a band experience you know we just we you know play songs and then we just kind of make up songs and uh yeah, so I was in a that band with the bass player Louie and our singer Andrew, drummer Nija and me on guitar. 
And then we were in that band for, I guess, you know, four years, like not even playing shows, just, just practicing in a garage and stuff at Louie's house. Um, Do you remember what some of the other covers were before you started uh, focusing on originals? I remember, uh, remember we played POD live. We try to play a uh, kill switch engage fixation on the darkness. Remember that when that album live or just breathing came out, we were like all about it. We love that album. Um, Oh man, what are some other ones? Oh, Toxicity by System of a Down. Oh, wow. that one. Yeah. yeah. That's not that's not easy, right? Like you're picking some challenging ones. I know, yeah. Luckily we had a great drummer, Nija. He was um his dad used to play in Sun Ra. Oh wow. Yeah. His dad <laughs> Speaking of jazz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy avant-garde jazz. Yeah. Yeah, his dad played in Sun Ra in the eighties. You know, so he was, you know, Sun Ross had so many musicians, but his dad sure. was like, his name was Samurai Celestial. <laughs> and he played, yes. yeah, he plays, he, in the 80s. He sadly died at, like, um, you know, when Nija was really young, but Nija mm-hmm. had that, uh, just had that musical talent. Like, he's still, to this day, one of the most talented musicians I've ever known. But, uh, yeah. And, oh, and we also covered... Remember, we've covered a Limp Biscuit rolling for a talent show one time. <laughs> oh man, just just remember that. <laughs> and we got kicked out because one of our singers, you know, said "fuck." Whoops! <laughs> so, yeah, oh, uh, forgot to do the TV edit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, how does this then eventually evolve into Whitechapel? Well, Phil joined the band. We're you know psychotic behavior, like when we were like in the in like high school, maybe sophomore, junior year. And, you know, we played, and then we start playing shows more just around the area. But then, you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, life happened, you know, everyone has, you know, got girlfriends and stuff and uh, people were moving out of the house and it was just got, you know, just couldn't, it was just hard, you know, just to keep the band together. And, you know, then we started getting into then our song started getting crazier. Like it was, didn't follow like normal song structures, like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge out. It was more like part, 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 part. Yeah. We just started getting really weird and I don't know. It was just, you know, it's just being young, just being kids. And it was just, uh, we started, yeah, it was kind of the band kind of broke up, but we were still friends. It was just, we couldn't. Yeah. It just, it just wasn't possible. Then uh, after that band broke up, you know, we kind of, me and Phil started psychotic, uh, started by chapel in, um, in our f- original guitarist, uh, Brandon Cagle's basement. Like, so Brandon Cagle, he does sound for us now. Oh, wow. But, but uh, he got in a motorcycle wreck about a year into starting the band and mm. he kind of lost, lost feeling or he like separated three nerves in his arm and stretched out two. So he, wow. you know, his ability to play guitars isn't there. Yeah. But so that's cool started, that he's, he's still involved with the band. Oh yeah. He's, he's a brilliant sound engineer. Like he, we get compliments all the time on our live sound and it just makes it sound nasty. 
so yeah, we start we started the band in Brandon's basement because he had a drum set and he had a computer with PC drummer, <laughs> and uh, you know he had guitar amps like a Marshall JCM eight hundred, and uh, so like after work we'd go over to Brandon's house and we would just write songs and it was just and it felt good because we couldn't really do that in our in our other band just kind of like feel free to just kind of just write at our own pace and do what we want. Uh, so we, I would like work at McAllister's deli and Phil would work at, he worked at jewelry television. Brandon was a, he's a mechanic. And so after we get off work, like, you know, we'd go over to Brandon's house and we just kind of write songs. And that's how our real, our first demos came together. They're on YouTube, but yeah, those were all like, self-recorded very uh, blue collar band by the by the sound of it yeah yeah really really yeah yeah those are those good times well to draw the metallica parallel obviously we've all seen some kind of monster which was really revolutionized documentary filmmaking in the music genre in particular in that it gave such an unpolished raw look at you know, behind the scenes of a, of a major rock act. And, and obviously I think people were, you didn't have to be in a usually successful metal band to relate to a lot of the things that were going on. You didn't even have to be in a band, I don't think. Uh, having said that, what do you attribute the longevity of Whitechapel, particularly with this core lineup? Uh, what do you attribute that to when, you know, so many of your peers play shows with bands that have like one or two original members uh sometimes no original members uh you know and to make it you know u2 is like the classic example of the band that's like still all the classic guys but they're also like the biggest band on earth so yeah it comes with a a lot of extra pressures but it also it's not as easy to duck out to go get a day job or something like it is when you're in a a metal band (laughs) yeah um... what do you think it is that is allowed you guys to keep it intact like this and to keep it going for you know this many records well i mean yeah we're all just kind of you know we're all like fans of you know each other's you know like personalities and our you know the musical um the music you know everybody brings to the table you know we know we have a special thing going on with you know phil as our as our singer he's got you know it's kind of like a once in a lifetime vocalist you know you know that we have here and uh you know just try not to you know not take it for granted um you know i'm the youngest member of the band so i would go out to shows and see zach and alex's like first band called breadwinner dying and i would go see them and i used i used to think they're you know they they had their shit together they were like you know they had great tone great songs so it's like I was a you know fan of Alex and Zach before, you know, they joined Whitechapel. You know, and our bass player Gabe, he's like the funniest dude I know. So it's like, yeah, we just all like kind of grew up around each other, and you know, we've you know have gotten in arguments, you know, and stuff. But you know, it's like now you know that you've been a band for so long, you kind of uh, you kind of have perspective on everything. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm glad we didn't like you know. 
we wouldn't have had perspective if we just would have just given up, you know, and just broke up whenever shit got shit got hard. Yeah, just we're yeah we're just fans fans of each other. Yeah, that, that, it sounds like there's a real bond there that uh, is part of the music, but transcends the music as well, which I think is important for that. Yeah, to work. and I've and I've always loved just like group projects, like even in even in like when I was in elementary school, whenever we got to get together and do like a group project, like a like a big drawing and stuff, I always love that because I can kind of take everybody's stuff and I could, uh, everybody, what everybody brings to the table and that, you know, and I'm, I'm good at like, you know, adding, adding, you know, stuff, add, adding things on top of, you know, what other people do. And, you know, I, I just love the group. Collaborative dynamic, nature. Collaborative yeah. stuff. Yeah. So when was the first time you can remember buying a Metallica record of your own <laughs> since your dad had so much already um oh man first one i bought was saint anger yeah with the you know the fist i got it at walmart i I've, so, by the way you're not the first person to say that on the podcast yeah. <laughs> there's, there's well, i remember i remember uh well before saint anger because my dad had you know like early albums on cassette my dad bought we went to best buy my dad bought the black album and then I bought Creed's My Own Prison. That was my choice. <laughs> my dad bought the Black Album. But I love that Creed album, too. It's like Mark Tremonti's guitar riffs are just, like, very uh, underappreciated. Dude, Mark Tremonti has been on the podcast. He's an mm. insanely talented guitar player, super cool yeah. guy. And he grew up listening to merciful fate and death angel and metallica and slayer (laughs) so it's like so you know as much as you don't associate that sound with the band he's most successful and known for yeah once you sort of know that then you you can like it is in those riffs you know it is it's in there really is like some of my first riffs like the riff to hire like i was i play that all the time I mean, I mean that that riff could be on the black album with just a little mo- slight modification. Yeah, yeah, it's got a little, it's got a little unforgiven, little nothing else matters in there. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, it's funny. Um, but yeah, I bought point. the first one I bought with my own money was Saint Anger. Yeah, and then you went, "What is happening?" <laughs> you <laughs> what know, did I they didn't do. Have, uh, yeah, I was I was young, you know. When did that album come out? Two thousand two, I believe two thousand two, two thousand two or two thousand three. So I was fourteen. So I mean, I didn't. I mean, I didn't think it was, you know, I didn't have that crazy reaction that everyone else had, you know, to it. I was like, you know, I I listened to it and I, you know, took it for what it was. I don't know. It's it's, it's they just you know, played. Uh... The Aftershock Festival in Sacramento a couple nights ago as we're recording this. And they played Frantic for the first time and I don't know how long. And I guess when Damn. I guess when Hetfield introduced it, he said, like, this next one's from your favorite album. <laughs> so like they know they've kind yeah. of made a joke of like, you know, they know the yeah. uh, difficult place in the catalog where that record sits, but also, you know, it's still I think double platinum. 
you know, it still sold yeah. gangbusters. They still toured the world. They still put out music videos. And, you know, as I've said on the podcast many times, it's certainly not my favorite listen, but I do appreciate that it exists because were it not for that period, you know, we wouldn't have the band anymore. As yeah, we saw in that to, movie, you know, that yeah. it had to happen. They had know. to get over that that hump. Yeah, and like uh, around that time, was it, wasn't Lars really into like, I mean, the new metal was like real big at that time. So it was kind of like yeah. a sign of the times too. Yeah. And there's that, there's that one of the classic arguments in some kind of monster, a rare time that I disagree with Lars. Cause I actually, and I've said this on the podcast many times, I think Lars is incredibly sharp and is uh, largely responsible for so much of the band's successes commercially and creatively, but one spot where I disagree with him, And I think most fans probably do is when he when he's arguing with Kirk saying that if they have guitar solos on St. Anger, it will sound dated. And Kirk yeah. says very wisely, if we don't have guitar solos, it will sound dated. It will date it to right now. Yeah. And I think history yeah. proved him to be correct. Mm-hmm. But I also understand, you know, some of those decisions like doing Lollapalooza in the 90s and cutting their hair and all this other stuff that was very risky also turned out to be very smart because if you think about some other hard rock and metal bands that were big around the time of the Black Album, you know, a lot of them didn't make it through the 90s. And Metallica figured out a way to adapt while still being true to themselves creatively and still chasing something that also kept them huge, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, I didn't, you know, it would have been, you know, cool to be on fly on the wall you know in those and that's in that time yeah i know like yeah you could hear a lot of like you know kind of system of a down influence mm-hmm. on saint anger and uh yeah and i, know I, 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 more I like think systems the, the biggest the biggest one yeah. yeah i think i think that that probably has something to do with them choosing rick rubin for death magnetic i think because he had done system and slipknot and you know some of that stuff i think they were more intrigued by that than you know maybe yeah. some of the other stuff that rick rubin's known for yeah it's uh you know it's, it's yeah that system came out they were just you know no one else sounded like him who's just wacky frantic yeah. music you know so <laughs> yeah you can't help but be influenced you know uh and you know kirk was listening to meshuggah at the time so <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> somewhere around that era Damn, yeah okay. so i mean they always you know they got their ear to the ground. Yeah, and it seemed like James was just kind of trying to hold it together. I don't even know if he was, you know, taking any influence in. He was just, you know, he was a, was a new dad at the time. and he was uh, Sort of. Uh, his kids were young, and he was definitely yeah. really kind of getting healthier and more present, I think. There's yeah. that part in the movie where he, you know, it's one of his kids' birthdays, and he misses it because he's on a hunting trip, yeah. you know, uh, drowning in vodka. And I, you know, obviously that that was somewhere in a rock bottom kind of moment for him. And so, yeah, it's one of the very inspirational things about that film is watching him go through that evolution as a parent. Yeah, knowing how rough his childhood was and seeing him pull it together and you know Mm -hmm. start kicking ass at it. Pretty profound. Yeah, it's very inspiring. You know, just everything about that. Um, some kind of monster because you know you watch James and like the early 90s 
on stage and you're just like, dude, this dude is the most, the biggest badass on the face of the earth. You know, he's just mm-hmm. up there. Just, I mean, he's just the coolest dude. And, you know, and then you see some kind of monster and, you know, he's like, you know, this guy's, you know, he's in pain. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, a lot of his, you know, I guess childhood stuff's coming up, comes up because, you know, he quit alcohol, and, you know, use that, use that to kind of numb everything. And, you know, being in a band yourself, that to some degree, starting something so young in high school and, you know, cruising through your 20s and into your 30s, there's a there's kind of a Peter Pan suspended state of adolescence that yeah, most yeah. of our peers don't go through because, you know, going on tour is like a time warp, you know, because you go on yeah. tour and, and tour is just the same and you yeah. get back and people have lived through a bunch of not the same, you know, and grown and changed. And you're like, I'm pretty much the same dude I was when I left three tours ago and everybody else yeah. is a little different yeah yeah that's yeah and then add alcohol to that mix and yeah you're just you're just staying stuck for a long time yeah yeah and having you know you know being married and you know you know a woman will will call you out on your shit too so it's like it's (laughs) yeah uh, the good ones the good ones will yeah (laughs) i love it so uh when or if because you'd be surprised by how many metallica super fans i've had on who never had the chance to see them a lot of times because they tour so much themselves. Mm-hmm. When was the first opportunity you had to see them? I've never seen them. There you go. Another one. Never seen them <laughs> because, you know, in Knoxville, they never played Knoxville or they might've played Knoxville once, like in the nineties or something, but I never, you know, I was too young to go. And, you know, once we started touring, you know, I was always on tour whenever they played like somewhere close, like Nashville. Yeah. Is so, not, yeah, that's, is Knoxville a secondary market or is that a tertiary market in, uh, in, in booking agent speak? Man, it's gotta be, it's gotta be like a C market, C or B, you know, it's, I mean, it's definitely, um, it's not a major yeah. market. No, not major, <laughs> not major. Yeah. It's like, it's a city you like drive through to go up north, you know, to kind of from Atlanta to somewhere else. Yeah. Because the highway runs right through Atlanta. So you kind of just have to, yeah. So you, if you, 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 you have an off day. There's a lot of yeah. bands that have like off days, like. Uh, like yeah. Our, if you're, if you're on Ozfest or something and you can book an off day show, it yeah. doesn't hurt the radius clause. You might play in Knoxville. Yeah. Yeah. Or you'll just have an off day in Knoxville because it's on the way to another city. Like yeah. we, we have friends bands that like that'll have an off day in Knoxville. Like our buddy Warren, he does. Oh, not an off day show. You mean just like a day just off? Just a day off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So our buddy Warren, he he guitar texts for Slayer, and he you know he hits us up because Slayer had an off day in Knoxville because it's just on the way to Kentucky or something from Atlanta. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, it surprised me the first couple of times I had people on who have never seen them. And it surprises me less and less because not only because I keep, I've been hearing it more, but because yeah, uh, most of the people I have on the show are in touring bands. And so it's just never, unless you're on a festival together or something, Yeah, you know, you don't get an opportunity to, and when you're home decompressing, I think the last thing some guys want to do is go to a metal show 
Yeah, but hey, when you were just at six weeks of metal shows by yourself, hey, yeah. I would still go see Metallica if they if they played near me when I was in town. Yeah, well, it'll it'll happen. It'll happen one of these days. Yeah, if, if you're looking for if there's a band coming through that you love that is only going to play the bigger cities, or is Nashville closer to you or Atlanta? Or yeah, where? I live in Nashville now. Okay, so Metallica did play Nashville like uh, two years ago. But I was not in town. Of course not. <laughs> of course you weren't. So what would you say other than the riffs, obviously, and, and learning some of the early guitar and those early inspirations, how do you see that impact of, of that band in particular continuing to play out in your own career, whether that's musically or philosophically or the relationships in the uh-huh. band or, you know, because we, we kind of touched on a lot of the different ways that they have an impact yeah it's you know the way you know we kind of write songs is sort of like how metallica you know write songs they find a you know lars carls calls it a cycle you know a cycle of riffs mm-hmm. that sound good good together that you could kind of like repeat so we that's what we kind of do it you know ourselves we find a cycle of riffs that you know you know three or four riffs that repeat well together and then once you have that sort of foundation you could kind of add little you know extend a part here you know add a little solo section there you know i I, you know we all you know we all do the same stuff really it's just it's just you know the choices choices you make yeah just like the riffs you write um but yeah it all starts with an idea you know i watch all the you know, Metallica in the studio stuff. And, you know, we, we do the same things they do. They, they have a big whiteboard <laughs> and they write down all the riffs that, that they all agree can make, you can make into songs. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. That's the same stuff. But, and and the, I, I say this all the time, but someday I'm going to do a coffee table book on working titles. Cause I find that a lot of bands oh, have yeah. amazing working yeah. titles for songs. Oh yeah. We got some good ones. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. I love I love that idea that the commonalities that you see. And, and isn't it interesting that even when you haven't seen a band live, that especially this band with the level of access that they've offered, you still almost feel like you know them because you've seen so much stuff in the studio. You see them in their tuning room, right? Like yeah. there's like a level of of relationship there between the band and the audience that uh, is so unique and is so different from you know so many other bands that that came before them yeah they they film everything they just always you know they're an industry and to themselves you know they have that ability that's the thing with metallica i mean they have you know they have the ability to do it and they do it they don't yeah they don't skimp out on anything you know start their own record label you know they you know they i guess in-house their own merch you know they got I believe film. I believe they bought a record pressing plant and that they yeah. actually pressed their own vinyl at their own plant. So they don't have uh-huh. to worry about all the manufacturing delays everyone's dealing with right now. Yeah. And it's their own place. Yeah, it's great. And they, you know, they and they, you know, they release, you know, they during the pandemic, they started releasing like concerts, like classic concerts and stuff. And so they're, they're always, you know, using everything to their fullest. And they do, you know. You know, they do uh, all within my hands. That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they do charity work and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's really cool. 
Yeah, and I love that they put back into not only the charity stuff, but back into their whole organization, like you said, because it would be easy to, you know, cut corners on the bottom line, have less production on stage, do less cool special events and whatever, and, and make more money and probably mm-hmm. be just as successful. But I like that they put so much back into the art of it and that they will take risks on sometimes money losing ventures. Like, you know, the two years they did their festival, amazing eclectic yeah. lineups. They treated the band, all the bands insanely well. Uh, everyone says that a festival never makes money the first year, usually not the first five years. Uh, I know that they lost money on both of those. And uh, the 3D movie, that was another big risk yeah. that didn't really pay yeah. off. But they'll continue to do it, you know, for mm-hmm. the art of it, you know, to, to they'll try things, they'll take risks, you know, they, they don't just rest on their laurels and collect the check. Yeah, so. exactly. I just, that's... Yeah, it's very inspiring to to see. I don't know, like I know I know um James, he still gets he's included on the emails for like all the like t-shirt designs and just all the he still has, you know, he still has his hand on, you know, the look of the band. He drew that logo, isn't that crazy? Yeah, he drew that's wild. It's crazy he drew that logo. It's also crazy when I had Dave Lombardo on the show, we talked about this. Uh, Dave Lombardo drew the Slayer logo. What? It's just so crazy because those two logos are so iconic and yeah. so beautifully simple because you can scroll them on a locker or whatever. And you can also do like these ornate versions of them. And it's just amazing to think that just the, you know, yeah, how started the origin stories, how easy they were, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. The fact that, you know, it just comes from, you know, it just comes from one place. It's just like a, you know, just one place and it's just kind of, yeah. like a bit, you know, like the Big Bang or, you know, the, <laughs> totally. it just kind of sp- spreads from there. Totally. Yeah, it's really cool. So when you put on your guitar and you're warming up, if Metallica riffs are coming out of your hands, what riffs are they? Just your kind of go-to, lazy, I'm just probably, messing know, around. The- Probably Master Puppets. I mean, maybe the chorus of the Master Puppets, like yeah, Master Puppets or you know, melodic. Maybe the maybe the bridge to to live is to die, that acoustic part. Oh yeah, no, they have so many beautiful like acoustic sections, or the acoustic part in Master Puppets. You know. Yeah, I always say that Master of Puppets is like the quintessential, you know, if aliens come down and ask, what does Metallica sound like? That's the song you play because it's kind of covers all the bases. Yeah, yeah, that song is, yeah, that song is just so operatic, you know, it's just like, you know, it's classical music, you know, like Beethoven put into distortion. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's so cool how they come out, you know, of, that beautiful, you know, midsection, you know, with the dun dun da dun 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 da da dun dun da dun dun dun, and it's yeah, it's just that's what I, I would just love to be on a fly on the wall for them, just in the shed constructing that song. You know, it's like, man, how how cool would that have been? <laughs> yeah, or to even learn like what almost happened or which direction a part almost went and what the decision yeah. making was and. Because yeah, it's so they made, 
Yeah, because it's so ingrained in our DNA at this point. You know, the kind yeah. of the, the what if scenario of some of those songs is is fun to think about. Yeah, yeah. Because now on like Spotify, they have like like demos mm-hmm. of uh, yeah, Injustice for All stuff. But yeah, yeah a lot of the stuff. From listen the to those. Yeah, and just listen to like James like whisper like over like a, a riff he's recording. It's yeah, so cool. Yeah, another peek behind the curtain in a way that yeah, it's like it allows you to kind of reverse engineer. It'd, it'd be like you know seeing an artist sketchbook or uh, you know storyboards from a classic film or something. It's yeah, cool to have that. Mm-hmm. So the other big question. And you can you can take your time because I'm springing it on you, but uh, let's rank the albums. Where do you where do you rank the catalog? Okay. Hmm. And it doesn't have to be you know what's the most important or most impactful to the world, but just what your favorites are. Which ones do you like and what are favorites? Uh, I like because well, just growing up and like. I would listen to Injustice for All. Like that was this cassette that I listened to all the time. So Injustice for All was like the first one that kind of I really like loved. So I'd say that that first. Master Puppets second. Uh, Ride the Lightning, Black Album, Kill 'em All. Then uh I think Hardwired to Self Destructs actually. The, um the best out of like you know since the 2000s or the 90s reload reload before load that's interesting i don't uh, hear that very well well i'm kind of biased to that because reload was um i'd listen to that one a lot with my dad so i think that what's that one have memory remains mm-hmm. king nothing uh, King Nothing's on load. Oh, it's easy okay. to get them confused because it's really it a was it was it's yeah, really a double. So yeah. It is so we'll just say those two are, you know, <laughs> you could we could tie them. And then Death Magnetic, you know, it's well honestly I haven't listened to much Death Magnetic honestly. Um, I know my dad listened to it when it came out and I've heard a few songs, and I you know I haven't heard the whole album, you know, to give it you know. A, a solid answer but. i really loved it when it came out but i don't find that i go back to it that much whereas hardwired uh stuck with me for a lot longer yeah yeah hardwired is better i'd say um yeah i guess yeah saint anger and death magnetic i mean i, I think saint Anger, um probably death magnetic is better I, I don't know but i haven't heard the whole thing <laughs> but that's all that's nightmare all nightmare long is them is um, my favorite song on Death Magnetic, and it okay. crushes all of St. Anger. <laughs> okay. Good. In my opinion. One, two, and I three, used to four. love, uh, I did Lulu, you know. <laughs> yeah, we don't count that one. That's not that's not a Metallica album. That's a Lou Reed and Metallica album. Yeah, yeah. If we were ranking Lou Reed and Metallica albums, I would say that in the catalog of Lou Reed and Metallica collaborative albums, that's definitely number one. It's yeah, it's definitely the best. Out of all it's of them, the best out of all, of them. all the Lou Reed Metallica albums. It's easily the best. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's going to be my new answer when people ask me how I feel about Lou. That's that's what, that'll it's, be my go-to. Yeah, that album's so so wild. That's <laughs> my god. It's very it's challenging, actually, and I've heard the argument yeah. that it's challenging by design. So yeah, it's like avant-garde. 
Yeah. God bless. I don't I don't knock them for trying it. It's just uh not for me. <laughs> Shall we say? Yeah. And I have tried. Cannot do it. Maybe someday. Maybe one day is it will be the day that I turn a corner and I go, wow, actually this is a masterpiece. But yeah. You know. Stranger yeah, things have I mean, happened, I guess. It might click. It might click one time. The we, fact that it exists is it's pretty surreal. Yeah. And I like that it exists. I like that they had the opportunity to try that and that they did it and they saw it through. I've just said many times, I wish that it would have then gone in the vault to be released years yeah. down the road as this like curiosity, you know, maybe right now for the 40th anniversary. Oh, we did this weird record with Lou Reed once. Here's this. Oh yeah. You know, it, it would have just gained, gained like cult hype you know yeah cult classic oh yeah if they had let slip that it existed but didn't let any music out that would have been cool Mm -hmm. and you could just wonder it was like chinese democracy all those years it was like oh it could be great and then when it finally came out you're like oh well it's just this (laughs) yeah (laughs) whatever you built it up to be in your mind was always going to be better yeah that's it's always usually the case indeed but but i loved um s&m that that record they did with the, the orchestra that was absolutely and like you said with the this sort of you know the beethoven instant there yeah it made sense mm-hmm. that they would do something like that yeah i think yeah. no leaf no leaf clover and minus human are both from the load reload sessions so they you okay. know they, they sound very much of that era but obviously with the orchestra i love yeah. no leaf clover and they play that lately they played it like some of these festivals they just did yeah i heard about i heard about that yeah yeah it's pretty cool yeah i used to love that song when it came out i was like yeah when i started really getting into metallica that was like that was like the first album like new of the new shit you know that came out i remember i was like oh it's a new metallica song because yeah yeah they snuck a couple new ones in there Snuck some new ones it's like i love um apocalyptica yeah uh-huh I, yeah. I had i had one of them on speaking destroy a while back awesome. super cool yeah per, per love, two kivalosco was the guy i had on yeah i used to love that that stuff like that album when it came out yeah and they had them play at the uh 30th anniversary shows did you ever watch any of that stuff on youtube no oh man it's yeah they did four nights in at a small venue small for them in san francisco it was fan club only and they played a different set every night, just every song you can imagine. And they had so many guests get up and play with them. So it was like Rob Halford, Geezer Butler, Ozzy Osbourne, Glenn Danzig, Animal from Anti Nowhere League, Brian Tatler from Diamond Head. Just, you know, an en- endless procession, King Diamond so many of their friends and heroes and peers uh newstead played yeah. i think two of the four nights wow. um, and uh, dave mustaine another... was the only time dave mustaine the first time rather yeah. other than the big four shows uh mustaine got up and played like you know i think four songs yeah it's pretty amazing that's interesting like just to because i i know mustaine wrote some riffs on master of puppets um i know he had some yeah he claims yeah he had some 
Yeah, I think it's Leper Messiah, and it was a song yeah. of his called The Hills Ran Red or something like that. Something like that, maybe. Yeah, and like I don't, it could be a Megadeth riff. I know, and it's funny to, to listen and try to like pick out, uh, you know, yeah, Call of Cthulhu, obviously, Ride the Lightning, you know, the stuff he has credits on. I don't think he was ever credited for anything on, on Puppets, but I, yeah, I, I have seen where he said that he has a riff there or something. But yeah, uh, yeah and a lot of those Kill Em All songs, I mean, Jump in the Fire, yeah, uh, you know, Four Horsemen, obviously, when it was Mechanics, like the original iterations of those songs were just 100% Mustang. You know, yeah. he brought Jump in the Fire in from his old band Panic. And, yeah. uh, you know, the version that's on Kill Mall has different lyrics. And obviously they changed mechanics quite a bit. I think it's it's uh, yeah. justifiably a, a different song. But uh, yeah, his his fingerprints are undeniable on Kill Mall especially. But, uh, you know, that's another thing in history where for all the fun of the what if, like, you know, like you said in the very beginning, how important Kirk's contributions are to metallica and also there was just there wasn't room in one band for all of those characters you know yeah yeah. needed to split so we could have omega death (laughs) you know yeah there needed to be a poke a hole in that balloon you know to let the steam out yeah and and it needed to happen for metallica because who knows what metallica would have sounded like with you know all that uh, combustibility in there for better or ill so yeah, I'm glad it diverged and we ended up with these two amazing bands instead mm-hmm. of just one. Yeah, I got a man. I I sat next to an, um, this guy named Tom Fowler on an airplane to Europe one time, and he Tom played uh, he played a bass with Frank Zappa and uh, well, so Ray Charles. Wow. So he was going to a festival in Europe called Zappanal, and he said. <laughs> And he said, "Oh, you're in a you're in a metal band. Uh, I used to be, I used to be roommates with this Dave Mustaine." <laughs> and uh, so, I, if if I ever met Mustaine, like I would, I would ask him if he knew Tom Fowler because wow. I think he was, or he knew him like in the early '80s, maybe just after like he well, out of Metallica. You're, uh, I mean, running into Mustaine is possible. You're in the same place. Yeah, yeah. I think My wife's a, actually yeah. done makeup, makeup for Megadeth on their newest photo shoot. Um, oh wow! Yeah, because I'm friends with uh, the recording engineer Chris Rakestraw. Uh huh. And uh, yeah, he's a really cool dude, and he does like tree arborist work too. So he's helped me with my tree in the backyard. That's but, right. Uh, but Chris, he does. Uh, he's kind of like Mustaine's right hand man as far as like controlling the the boards and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I should. I should. Uh, I mean. If I ever get the opportunity, I will ask him about Tom Fowler. <laughs> you absolutely should. <laughs> That's amazing, dude. Well, hey, thanks so much for being up to do this. It's just super fun. Uh, the whole point of the podcast is these are conversations I like having anyway. And being yeah. a workaholic, this is a this is a good excuse to have them and still feel productive. It's <laughs> so, good, man. Hey, any yeah. chance I get to talk with a fellow Metallica fan, I'm, I'm all about it because they're just you know it's just like just like breathing you know to me just talking about that band so. cannot exhaust the topic that's the fun thing nah, i remember nah. i remember somebody asking me like well how much how far does that concept really go and it's like well i'm 
past 100 episodes and i feel like i'm only scratching the surface so yeah you could just talk about like yeah just musical influence you know just like you know just yeah just and everybody spreads just yeah it's like a the you know a pebble in in a lake i mean you know we're talking about the same band and the same records and whatever but everybody has a very unique story and uh situation as to how they came to it and what it what it means for them you know 